This week, we've got a pope who came to power after a thousand days of an empty papal chair. A guy who wasn't even a priest when he was elected. Our pontiff this week butted heads with ambitious kings and made revisions to the church playbook that lasted for nearly 700 years. Among other things, of course. Oh, and he's also one step away from sainthood. This week on the PopeCast, it's Pope Gregory X. Hey there, I'm Matt Sewell, and this is the podcast about popes for people who like history but aren't so crazy about dry, dusty history books. This podcast will be a periodic look into the lives of one of the 264 men who have held or are currently holding the office of the Vicar of Christ, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Pope Gregory X was born as Teobaldo Visconti in Piacenza, Italy, around the year 1210. His family was among the Italian nobility, and his uncle was the Archbishop of Milan. But by all accounts, Teobaldo didn't have much of a taste for the worldly trappings, and instead decided to follow in the footsteps of one Cardinal Giacomo de Pecorari, the Bishop of Palestrina, who was actually from Teobaldo's hometown. The Cardinal was a member of the Cistercian religious order and had a reputation for holiness. So young Teobaldo joined his camp at around age 21, and stuck with him for the next 13 years, serving essentially as the Cardinal's chief secretary. This assignment took Teobaldo all over the known world, since the Cardinal was a papal legate for Pope Gregory IX at various places in Europe at the time. Teobaldo traveled to Tuscany in 1235, Lombardy from 1236 to 1237, and both France and Germany throughout 1239 to 1241. After the Cardinal's death in 1244, Teobaldo headed to Lyon, France, where he witnessed the first Council of Lyon and met the likes of St. Bonaventure, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Guy Foucault, the man who would eventually precede him as Pope as Clement IV. Then, in 1246, Teobaldo was appointed to be Archdeacon, basically the chief deacon, of the Diocese of Liege, Belgium. His time in Liege wasn't real pleasant, as it turned out. He had to deal with one guy trying to usurp the chair of the Bishop of Liege after the bishop had died. Then, the eventual guy who was elected bishop, a man named Henry of Gelders, enjoyed a rather uh, worldly lifestyle, shall we say, which Teobaldo uh, wasn't much of a fan of. In fact, in 1262, the two almost actually got in a fist fight when Teobaldo called the bishop out on his behavior, and it actually turned out to be the last straw for him. So Teobaldo packed his bags and headed out, aiming for the Holy Land, but settling in Paris, where he actually befriended King Louis IX, a man we all know now as St. Louis or St. Louis. So then Teobaldo was sent to England by Pope Clement IV in 1267 to help a cardinal there, but ended up befriending the eventual King Edward I and following him on a crusade to the Holy Land soon thereafter. So around the time Teobaldo left for the Holy Land, Pope Clement IV kicked the bucket. The cardinals then gathered in 1268 for what still remains the longest gap of time taken to elect a new pope. The group was divided thanks to a spat between the French and Italian cardinals, so the deadlock lasted nearly three years. It actually wasn't until the people of Viterbo, where the election was being held, literally ripped the roof off of the building housing the cardinals for them to come to a decision. So on September 1st, 1271, the cardinals elected Archdeacon Teobaldo, who wasn't even in the country. 
Word finally reached him in the Holy Land, but it took him four more months to make it back to Viterbo to accept his election, and then two extra months after that to actually be first ordained a priest, because keep in mind he was a deacon, and then be ordained a bishop. So he was finally consecrated pope on March 27, 1272, taking the name of Gregory X. Pope Gregory's greatest achievement should actually be achievements in the plural, I think. As soon as he was elected, he received a letter from none other than Kublai Khan, the ruler of the Mongol Empire, which was delivered by Niccolo and Matteo Polo, the father and uncle of Marco Polo. The Khan was asking first for missionaries and some oil from the lamp of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem for evangelization purposes, but was also looking to strike up an alliance to fight against Islamic invasion. Soon thereafter, Gregory did two other notable things. He called for a general council of the church, what would become the Second Council of Lyon, and he worked to restore a bit of peace in Italy and knock the pesky King Charles of Anjou down a few pegs. To start with Charles first, the new king had taken advantage of the three years of popelessness, shall we say, to extend his influence in the Papal States and Northern Italy. But he also had ambitions to create a new empire and crown himself king of Jerusalem, oh, and also to reconquer Constantinople. In any case, knowing that peace in Germany was the key to balancing out Charles's influences, Pope Gregory was able to convince the German princes to elect Rudolf I of Habsburg, yes, those Habsburgs, as their new king. So with that out of the way, Gregory then could focus on convening the church's 14th ecumenical council the Second Council of Lyon. The focus of it would be threefold, to reform the church against various disciplinary abuses, to relieve the Holy Land, and to reunite with the Eastern Orthodox churches, who had formally split from Rome a couple centuries earlier. And believe it or not, Gregory did just that. He actually forged a profession of faith with the Eastern churches, though it sadly didn't last and would actually fall apart not long after Gregory's death. The council, though, included the likes of bishops and clergy from all over, as well as a delegation from the Mongol Empire. It's worth noting, sadly, that it was on his journey to this council that St. Thomas Aquinas died. In ill health, he'd stopped at the Fossanova Abbey near Rome, where he actually expired within days of the council opening. The fruit of the council, though, in particular, was a sweeping facelift to the rules of how a pope could be elected. That thousand-day gap between popes was the culmination of decades of cardinals lollygagging when it came to electing Peter's next successor, so Gregory made sure to be thorough. So thorough, in fact, that his changes lasted with few interruptions all the way to the 20th century, with a revision by Pope Paul VI. Things we'll recognize from Gregory's upgrade, for example, that the cardinals need to be present to vote, that cardinals must not leave the conclave for any reason until the pope is elected, and that only a two-thirds majority of present cardinals could elect a pope. So after leaving Lyon in 1275, Gregory's health was already in decline. He was suffering from a hernia, no small thing in those days, so his trip back to Rome was slow and, in fact, would never be completed. He made it to the Italian town of Arezzo for Christmas and would only live a couple more weeks. He died at Arezzo on January 10th, 1276, and is actually still buried in Arezzo's cathedral. As for Gregory's legacy, there are a few interesting bits to note. He started the cause for the canonization of his friend King Louis IX, who had died in 1270. Gregory was also the first pope to ever wear the white cassock, as noted in a 1274 document 
as noted in a 1274 document which detailed the customs of elected popes. And this is contrary to the popular belief that it was St. Pius V, a Dominican, who was the first to wear papal white. And then lastly, Pope Gregory X was widely known for his virtue and holiness, though it wasn't until 1713, almost 500 years after his death, when Pope Clement XI beatified Gregory. Interestingly enough, Pope Pius XII reopened Gregory's cause for canonization in 1944, and it remains open. So only one miracle attributed to Gregory's intercession remains as a requirement for us to have our next Pope Saint. So to take us out this week, here's a quote from Pope Gregory X's decree regarding papal protection of the Jewish people. Quote, We decree that no Christian shall compel them or any one of their group to come to baptism unwillingly. But if any one of them shall take refuge of his own accord with Christians because of conviction, then after his intention will have been manifest, he shall be made a Christian without any intrigue. For indeed, that person who is known to have come to Christian baptism not freely but unwillingly, is not believed to possess the Christian faith, end quote. So there you have it, a pope who went toe-to-toe with kings, rooted out bad behavior, and protected the marginalized. May we all be as virtuous as Gregory X. Thanks for listening. As we go, the success of this podcast will rely on two things, aside, of course, from the grace of God. First, to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you're listening to this, and providing feedback on what you think. The more you rate, the more likely it's seen and listened to by others, and the better feedback I get, the better the podcast can become. And second, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sewell. That donation, even at a buck per episode, will get you some sweet Patreon-only content, early access to podcast episodes, and will allow me to continue devoting time to producing these great bios. So that's patreon.com slash M-A-T-T-S-E-W-E-L-L, patreon.com slash Sewell. Um, so that's it for this week. Pope Blessed Gregory X, pray for us. Until next time.